0: Welcome to Radio KBPV, Tales of Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village, a podcast about the history of southwestern Alberta, presented by Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village of Pincher Creek. Hey, keep it down over there. I'm trying to read.
1: Should hear the things that she says. She says, Hun drop dead. I'd rather go to bed with Gabriel Garcia Marquez, <laughs> cuddle up with William S. Burroughs, leave on the light for bell hooks. I've been flirting with Pierre Burton because he's so smart in his books. I like to go out dancing. My baby loves a bunch of authors. My heart's so broke and bleeding. Baby's just sitting
0: there doing some reading. Hello and welcome back to Kootenay Brown Now and a special edition of our podcast today. Uh, It's uh, coming up here on November 10th, so just the day before Remembrance Day. And uh, we have coming up uh, very quickly next week, on November 20th, the Return of Our Authors event, which has been very, very successful over the years. This year it's our sixth annual. Last year we were fortunate enough to get near two dozen authors into pioneer place for the event but uh, things are a little bit different this year as you could probably remember uh, from the news there's a bit of a epid- uh, pandemic going on and so we have a we want to still hold the event but we have to make a few changes if we're going to do that so pioneer place is just a little too small to hold an event and uh, we also won't have as many authors this year Uh, many have regretfully uh, decided declined to attend this year uh, purposely due to uh, uh, you know personal issues with the pandemic and such and that's very fair but we're going to go ahead with it so I think it'll still be a very impressive turnout we're going to actually hold it on the grounds down in Reg and Mildred Beer Exhibit Hall, which you probably remember as the old museum building or where our, uh, our military exhibit, our general store, and our, some of our store exhibits are in uh, the village. So we're going to spread out through there, between there and our new cafe and, and tables. And because it's down in the village, we're going to go away from it being an evening event and we'll hold it in the afternoon, the Friday afternoon from 1 to 5. So hopefully you'll still be able to make it out and uh, meet some of your favorite authors and uh, we'll still enter through Pioneer Place but you'll walk down into the village to the, to the main exhibit area where the uh, authors will be set up. And uh, we still hope to see you come out, pick up some signed copies Uh, and uh, introduce yourself and meet some of these people and hopefully we'll still be able to have some socially distanced fun here in uh, Pincher Creek and get yourself something to tide yourself over through the coming winter and whatever else uh, life decides to throw at us this year. So in the meantime, we have a bit of audio from some of our uh, regular authors and so this podcast is going to focus on uh, our authors speaking about their own works, just giving you some brief readings or stories and uh, telling us what their uh, what their literary works and uh, a little bit about what drives them to do the things that they do. So uh, and those who I'm uh, missing, who I don't have audio for, I'll try to fill in the best I can and with other ways. So we'll see you at the other end of this podcast. Next up is Frances Riviere of Pincher Creek. Her two volume biography is uh, Washing at the Creek and Bittersweet Frill Circles, where she tells about her memoir. Of living in along uh, Drywood Creek near the mountains and growing up and um, her first years of her marriage after she was forced from her home by a mysterious illness and the story of how she handled her loss rose above her circumstances to raise five children and still lived a happy and fulfilling life and she also has a book of uh, poetry and uh, I'm going to just turn it over to Francis
2: I'm going to read a little bit of my very last book that I wrote here, which is a book of short stories. I wrote this uh, book since I've been in the, uh, in the lodge up at Crestview, and uh, it's, uh, it's a book of short stories. Uh, horses supplied comfortable sleeping quarters, gourmet meals, and wonderful vistas like none else in the world. Boasted the brochures. We dreamed of sleeping around camp, resting after long, rewarding scenic rides, waiting for the amiable cook to prepare a stunning meal, sitting around a campfire until we were pleasantly tired and ready for the warm sleeping bags, snuggled in rainproof tents, be on the uh, e- maybe even on a bed of fragrant spruce boughs. We couldn't wait to meet the wonderful man. Where was the welcoming party? Why were the only humans in the clearing members of our own party? We were a a group of amateur photographers, except for Dorwin Wiggett, who was to show us the finer points of using cameras and tripods to photograph the breathtaking scenery, flora, and fauna of the Wilmore Wilderness. Darwin Wiggett was from Leduc, Alberta. Jeanette Buckingham, her partner Hans Wiener from uh, Edmonton. My friend Edith Evans, a rancher from Fort McLeod and myself a rancher also. The Wilmore Wilderness was located west of Edmonton on the Yellowhead Highway, north of Jasper Park in central Alberta. Darwin was an experienced photographer who experienced several exploits with Dave Manser, the outfitter, in previous years. He spoke favorably of these experiences. Darwin was a wiry, young, outdoor young man, about 35, very friendly and easy to get acquainted with. The night before at his home, he showed us slides of the wonderful, awesome country north of Jasper Park. We went back to our our motel room that night thoroughly pumped and loaded with chocolate cake. The Darwin's wife, although she was not present, had gen- generously supplied. Jeanette and Hans both appeared interesting people that I was anxious to know.
0: Doug Rawling isn't just an author of Western fiction, although he is a very good one. He's also a singer and songwriter. When you listen to his songs, it's clear that Doug has a gift for storytelling, which has brought him to his endeavor as as the uh, author of Western fiction. He draws from the experience of cowboy life and paints beautiful images of the landscape and lifestyle of the Western frontier, pulling the reader into a gripping story sprinkled with biblical truths. Books like The Fourth Man, Providence Pass, Stafford's Gun, and The Bronx Stomper are available at Kootenay Brown at any time, and uh, you'll be able to meet Doug, and now here's Doug talking about his
3: work.
4: Well, I, uh, yeah, I've i written songs for years and uh, started two or three books over, the, over my life that never got finished, and then I... Uh, I would you know, find them tucked away in a drawer somewhere and then remember, oh yeah, I was writing a book. But then, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, I just decided I was going to write a book and treat it like a job and finish it. And uh, the whole process was so enjoyable that I had a hard time thinking about anything practical for a while, which probably drove my wife crazy. But um, yeah, so uh, I write westerns. I am. A, I work as a cowboy in the high country, looking after other people's cattle, and uh, so there should be a degree of authenticity to my writing, I think. And uh, I always put a horse from my life in each book. Um, I've had some wonderful horses over the years, so uh, not that it matters. I just make sure I stick one of those horses in in one of my books and. Uh yeah, so they're, they're Western novels, they're not in, each one standard on its own, it's not like they're in sequence or anything, but.
0: Joey Ambrosi is an interpretive guide with the Frank Slide Center, and he's always looking for new ways to uh, keep the Franks, to sh- show people the, uh, what the Frank Slide is all about, and also about the Rockies himself. He's also a, a very accomplished mountaineer, and he has written the Southern Rockies Trail Guide, guide, that is your complete hiking guidebook for the spectacular Rocky Mountains of southwest Alberta and southeast BC. It's a very popular guide with maps, photographs, elevation graphs, just about anything you need to to do some rugged multi-day backpacking. Uh, But he's also a writer of uh, some comic books that are associated with various events at the Crow's Nest Pass. And he and uh, Monica Field, also of the Centre, have put together a comic book with art by Jean-Claude St. Aubin, whose name will come up also later. And uh, those comic books are I Survived the Frank Slide, The Jesse Leach Story, Big Charlie and the Frank Slide, Canada's Worst Mining Disaster, The Shootout at the Bellevue Cafe, and The Shooting of Constable Lawson. Some stunning series focusing on incidents in the history of the pass. And now here's Joey.
5: Joey Ambrosia. I work at the uh, Frank Slide Interpretive Centre. And I've worked on a number of projects there from hiking books to comic books to a new game about coal mining. But I want to just read a little piece from a book that we reprinted and uh, did a second edition of by William Kerr, a geologist in the Crow's Nest Pass. So it says, was a baby named Frankie Slide the only survivor? The most appealing and enduring myth associated with the Frank Slide is the story of Frankie Slide, a baby who lived in one of the houses that was destroyed, and how she alone somehow escaped unharmed. No one is quite sure who found her, how she was saved, or where she was found, but there's plenty of stories. It's been said that she was found on a rock, on a bale of hay, in her crib, in an attic, on a pile of debris, under the roof of a house, and in her dead mother's arms. Reports stated that this baby was the only survivor of the Frank Slide. Local people did not know her name, and therefore she acquired the name Frankie Slide. The story was told and retold so many times it became a legend and a song was written about her. The truth is that there were several very young girls, as well as older children, who survived the Frank Slide. Many of the people who escaped from the row of cottages in the path of the Rock Slide were children, and their neighbors knew exactly who these children were. So if you want to know more about the Frank Slide, we have an excellent book on that. One
0: well, you'd have to guess it at the top, bottom, and anywhere in the middle of the chronicling of the history of Kootenai Brown. Pioneer Village and the history of Pincher Creek in southwest Alberta in general, you'd have to find my partner in crime, Farley Wood. After all, he doesn't know it, but he helps co-write this podcast. Well, he's the museum's resident resident, and he has put together and re-edited the massive tome Prairie Grass to Mountain Pass, the whole history of the pioneers of Pincher Creek and District, and he spends his days putting these little factoids together and also uh, writing the columns in Shooting the Breeze and the Pinchy Creek Echo that we this podcast dips into from time to time. He's also the author of The History That Almost Wasn't, The Chronicles of Pincher Creek's Ill-Fated Railway History. And he was also the lead writer of the... Uh, the of, ta- of the Portfolio Tales of the Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village, which is a, uh, a, compo- a photographic compilation along with Jessica Monsell and yours truly, uh, that kind of offers a table co- uh, tabletop copy view of the village and the buildings around it and its 50-plus uh, 50, 50
6: year history. Okay, my name is Farley, and I work here at uh, Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village, I have a story that uh, is in this uh, railway history book that we have and it is the story of one of the adventures on the mountain mill trestle which was the trestle went Over the Mill Creek uh, um, and it was on the Kootenay Alberta Rail Line. The line was finished in 1911 and 1912 and this is a true story that was told to me many years later by one of the seniors in the community and that senior was Millie Cox. And when the railway was finished she was about 18 years old and she and her friends thought it would be a great adventure to go out onto the ra- uh, railway and onto the trestle there and have a picnic on top of the ra- uh, railway trestle. Thought it would be a great place to have a nice m- Sunday brunch and have a great view. It had a nice uh, view up there of the mountains and it was the Highest wooden railway, tr- One of the highest wooden railway trestles in the Canadian prairies at the time. So she and about six or eight of her friends went up there, had their lunch, had their picnic, and then decided to continue on back to the Mount View Ranch east of the trestle. And they just got off the trestle when there was a runaway coal car from Beaver Mines that went whizzing by them. Uh, and they had just narrowly missed them because they just got off the edge of the, of the railway. And it went whizzing down, uh, downhill all the way to the Pincher Station at that point. And with the research that we did, we were able to find the picture of them on the, the railway trestle. So it uh, documented the history, not that we had to ever worry about what Millie Cox told us. When I knew her, and this was back in the late 70s, early 80s, she was just about 90 years old at that point, one uh, point, and she told me this story about it. And then many years later, out of one of the family photo albums, out pops the photograph. So that's why it's important uh, in a community like Pincher Creek to listen to the seniors and the elders, because they have lots of these stories that nobody else knows about. And if she hadn't told us about the story, it would have vanished with her as well, so.
0: Harry Hanlon is a lifelong pilot, worldwide pilot, and now retired to Pincher Creek. After 35 years of bush-type flying in some of the harshest conditions in the world, that resulted in many memorable experiences that he wants to share in his book, From Pole to Pole, with A Few Stops Between, a collection of stories and poems. And in this book, Harry talks about uh, flying in the high Arctic in northern Greenland, Uh, the Antarctic, South America and all over the world landings on grassy jungle strips, snow, glaciers, ice rivers, lakes and some of the busiest airports in the world with no shortage of adventures and many beautiful and fun times that uh, he does justice to in this book and now here's Harry.
7: Hi folks I'm uh, just promoting my book that I wrote over the years while I was flying through the Canadian Arctic and Antarctica and uh, just a lot of other places also. I think I'll just read the back panel for it. It's pretty self-explanatory. 35 years of bush-type flying in some of the harshest conditions in the world have resulted in many memorable experiences that I'd like to share. A lot of my early flying was along the west coast of British Columbia and the Canadian Arctic between Yellowknife and the northern coast. Flying a single Otter out of Norman Wells in the Northwest Territories added hundreds of hours of time to my logbook. I also accumulated many hours on skis, high flotation tires, and floats in the high Arctic islands and northern Greenland. These stories and poems were written over many years while I was flying in the Canadian Arctic, the Antarctic, South America, and many other parts of the world. There are stories of adventure, humor, and tragedy, tales of landing on grassy jungle strips, snow, glaciers, ice rivers, lakes, and some of the busiest airports in the world. These stories are not just about the flying they're involved the people that i've flown with and flown for and many others who are part of the aviation industry i've tried to avoid concentrating too much on the difficulties and dangers involved in this type of flying while there was no shortage of adventures there were also many wonderful and fun times that i've tried to make justice to one of the reasons i wrote this book is because a lot of my old pilot friends are retiring and dying off, and when they go, all their stories go with them. So I wanted to have some of these out there, and uh, a lot of my other pilots that are still living are really happy that I wrote this book. It brings back lots of memories for them also. That's it.
0: The medium of graphic novels, also known as comic books, are represented by Pete Brower of Diamond City, Alberta, and his comic, March on Fort Whoop-Up. The comic Pete produced with Raymond artist Claude St. Albine, who has worked in the comics medium in in, in several large companies such as Marvel and DC. The March on Fort Whoop-Up illustrates the historic great movement of the Northwest Mounted Police in 1874 as they introduced Canadian law and order to a lawless land. So here's Pete.
4: Hello,
3: <coughs> excuse me, I'm Pete Brower, and I've produced a comic book which depicts the formation of the Northwest Police in 1873 and coming right here to Southern Alberta the following year and establishing, I think, an outpost here in 1878, I'm, right, okay. Now, uh, while the recruits were, practi- were uh, in Fort Garry, they were uh, recruiting in Fort Garry. They were allowed to skate on the Red River, and I've got them. One guy's cutting branches off a tree, like was mentioned before, for a hockey stick. And uh, the other guy says, what's this for? He says, oh, yeah, before I go on, they were always complaining about these hard breakfast biscuits, which they had to eat. And this guy says, what's this for? He says, I brought some of those stale breakfast biscuits. We can hit them to each other across the ice. So they're playing hockey which these breakfast biscuits. And as one guy says to the other, I'm not playing anymore. He never passes the biscuit.
0: Christa McDonald writes about realistic characters confronting the moments and details that make up lives and identities. She lives in the Crow's Nest Pass with her husband and a veritable zoo of pets. She has a BA in English and a B. Ed in English language arts education and spends most of her time teaching, prepping, marking, and extolling the virtues of Shakespeare. When she isn't doing that, she's writing. When she isn't doing that, she's reading. And now she talks about her reading and her
8: writing. Um, And I stand when I talk. It's the teaching. Um, So I write uh, realistic women's literature. Uh, So it's literary fiction, but focused on women's uh, identities and relationships. Um, Definitely fiction. My first book follows a woman throughout her life. And the second book is One Single Day of a Woman's Life in 1969. And uh, it, that's what I'm going to read from today. And I'm going to read just uh, about a page from, um, not chapter one, because that would make sense. I'm going to start with chapter two, which is at 6 a.m. Sharon watched the shadow slide across the tiled ceiling, dancing with the light filtering through the curtains. She did the calculations. If she fell asleep right this moment, she would still get another 60 minutes. Well, 59 minutes, 45 seconds, 44 seconds, 43 seconds. Albert snored, sighed, and rolled his head away from her. Fifty-eight minutes. Or she could get up, go dig out the pamphlets she had tucked into the hallway closet, and study. She hadn't slipped through the notebook and pamphlets in weeks, maybe months, if she was entirely honest. The last time she had, she fanned through the pages, opening to one, then the other, but never reading, never even considering the images and diagrams and captions, not even the headings. There was the one with the smiling woman, there was the one with the smiling woman on the cover, her white dress and white cap starched and bleached to the color of snow and innocence, and the pearls sh- that—sorry—and the pearls that Sharon wore at her wedding. Then there was the blue book. The descriptions inside explaining the importance of hand washing and sterilization and propriety. Images of little glass bottles and long thin needles boasted the best of healthcare advancement. There was one section dedicated entirely to the correct way to make a bed, with two flat sheets, mitered corners, and the opening of the pillowcase away from the door. It was followed by an incredibly short section outlining the symptoms of polio.
0: Doris McKinnon is a professor from Red Deer College whose two books, The Identities of Marie Rose DeLorme Smith and Métis Pioneers, Marie Rose DeLorme Smith and Isabella Clark Hardesty-Lougheed relate the history and self-identifying processes of Métis women who lived on the western plains of Canada during transitional periods from the fur trade to sedentary agricultural economy and, and the industrial west. Now here's Doris to tell the, these compelling tales of these Métis women in the final days of the British Empire.
9: So I wasn't sure what I would be reading. I've got two books here and um, I'm a historian. I spend a lot of time in the archives and uh, for me that's a lot of fun. And so my first book was about one of the first pioneers in Pincher Creek, uh, Mary Rose Delorme Smith. Some of you may know her as $50 Bride, Um, and she was, uh, she settled here in the Pincher Creek area, had 17 children, she lived to the age of 99, and she left a lot of her manuscripts at the uh, Glenbow Museum, and so I uh, went through her manuscripts, and um, i like to, as much as possible, use their words if I can, and in her case she did leave some words. And so, I was curious, you know, as we all are about arranged marriages in those days, and they weren't all that uncommon, but we didn't often get to know a lot about how these women felt about these arranged marriages during the fur trade. And so, I'm just going to share a few of her own words about how she encountered uh, this husband on on the trail. He was uh, 17 years older than her. Her mother uh, made this deal with with, uh, her to become his wife, um, with Charlie, for for Mary Rose to become his wife. And so this is, these are Mary Rose's own words. Uh, She says, "In, in a stirring excerpt, worth quoting in its entirety since it sheds light on the practice of arranged marriages in some Aboriginal societies, Mary Rose explained Charlie's, quote, proposal. And so these are her words. As we neared the house, the three of us hurried real fast, and then Charlie caught hold of me, saying something. I was so frightened I knew not what his words were, but just cried out, Yes, yes, let me go. Whereupon he kissed me and loosed his hold. I ran like a wild antelope, trying to catch up with my sister and brother before they entered the house. I was still trembling with fear as we entered the door, for we girls were not allowed alone with men. Oh, say mother, I cried, you know that white man. He grabbed me and began to talk, but first he kissed me. So ended my courting
8: days."
0: (laughs) In Diamond in the Rough, Megan Simpson talks about her forebears, the Simpson family of men who were guided hunters and outfitters, and had saw many things that most people would only dream about or have nightmares about. And Megan's book gives a glimpse of what it's like to see the changes from when outfitting was first taken shape and a nearly 50-year history of Canada's outfitting industry, which Megan has spent her entire life around. Her own hunting business, the Rams Head Outfitters, saw her achieve her commercial helicopter license in 2008 and she also writes a lifestyle blog called My Gypsy Skies where she talks about her own phenomenal life although she's not yet 30 years old.
10: (laughs) Hello. So So, um, this is the first book that I've ever wrote and it is all short stories from my family's um, outfitting business. My grandfather Dave Simpson used to outfit down here by Waterton and then he had three sons, Frank, Flint, Stan and a daughter Cherokee and Stan is my dad. This book also has trail recipes and poems from my grandma Carol because she went out on the trail all the time cooking on the hunts and all of that. So I was just gonna read a little bit of this one story and it's called Cougar with the Longbow and it's just about a hunter that was on a cougar hunt with my grandfather and my dad. My heart was pounding and my legs ached as I climbed the last few steps to where Dave Simpson stood. The wind whipped at his shredded jacket and blood ran down his face where branches had torn away at his ear. Sheba, the blue tick hound, strained at the leash and howled as a scent from the day-old track eddied upward into the warming sun. Dave smiled and said, this cougar hunting sure is easy, isn't it? About that time, Stan and Flint, Dave's sons, and the other dog, a noisy black and tan named Zeke, had picked up a track among a a maze of mule deer hoof prints. As we caught up to the boys, Stan pointed out some bighorn sheep a mile above us on the skyline. The country was steep and thick brush in the bottoms of the draws made the going very slow. We had been going up and down the ridges for four hours and the city boy was now paying for the soft life.
0: Fred Stenson is a novelist, nonfiction. Fred Stenson is a novelist, a nonfiction writer, and a film writer, known widely in Canadian literary circles. But he was raised in ranching country right here near Twin Boot and attended school in Pincher Creek. And after several years away, he makes his home once again here in southwestern Alberta. Among his award winning and acclaimed novels are The Trade, Lightning, and The Great Carew. His latest novel is Who by Fire. It's the story of a Southern Alberta farm family who suddenly have a dangerous gas plant on their doorstep. And the only son in this family has pursued a career in the oil industry, a career that ends in the present day Alberta oil sands. It's a story of community and industry and the tragedy of lives who live too close to the industry's fire. But it is also a novel about loyalty and what loyalty means in a family, a community, a corporation, a country. In the tormented mind of one individual who feels he has betrayed his own.
11: Hi, I'm Fred Stenson. I've got a few novels here that I've written over the years. Uh, This one's called Who by Fire, it's the most recent, and uh, if... um, If it helps locate this, uh, the uh, church mentioned in this first part is St. Henry's. This is a childhood memory that I used to start this book and everything else in the book is fiction, I swear. (laughs) So bright was the light outside his window that the frost on the stippled wall was glinting. This he saw as he came awake. A deep rumble from outside had wakened him and a humming in his bedspring. He reached above his head and touched a metal flower in the bedstead. It buzzed against his finger. He slid from under the heavy tick. His feet found the hooked rug. Through his window he could see along the snow to the top of the church. Church Hill could see the cross on the steeple that his his mother's father had planted there on a windy day long ago. He wondered what could make a light at night brighter than a moon, and a sound that made a house shake. God, he supposed. The boy heard voices. The younger of his sisters was crying, and the older was scolding from their bedroom across the hall. Between his and their room was a grate in the floor to bring up heat. His father's growl and his mother's higher voice rose through it. He went to the stairs and crept down.
0: Agnes T. Bear was born in Cold Hill where her parents lived after immigrating from the Ukraine, where she spent most of her school years in Coaldale and graduated from the University of Lethbridge. After an extensive teaching career, she has retired in 2000 and lives in the Lundbrook area near Pincher Creek, where where Agnes and her husband raised her family. Her, Her first novel, Pathway Through Peril, A Journey of Hope, is a fictionalized story of her parents' and her ancestors' life as Mennonites living in the fertile, prosperous part of Russia known as the Ukraine in the early 20th century, where an idyllic life of, uh, of grain, abundant orchards, and steps of waving grass was all changed with the beginning of World War One, followed by the Russian Revolution and Civil War, and finally, immigration of the of the fictional schroeder bolt and lentz families as they moved on to a foreign land
12: Uh, well this book is uh based on my parents experiences uh, in ukraine during uh, during and after the first war and the russian revolution and the civil war and then their um, uh, immigration to canada in after That period of time it is fiction it's inspired by their story but it it's a lot of it is true a lot of it is filling in the blanks and and um, yeah I would like to read this a little bit Katharina was in the kitchen preparing the midday meal for her three grandchildren who in the periods of turmoil and trouble were spending most of their time in their ancestral home. She was caught off guard by the band of soldiers who thundered down the peaceful tree-lined street and into her snow-covered yard. She heard the sound of tethered horses in the barn, the tromping of feet and loud shouts as they stormed through the passageway and into her kitchen, fragrant with the smell of chicken soup on the stove. She had thought of what might happen if someone broke in when she was alone in the house with her grandchildren. She had long ago decided that a bunch of poverty-stricken peasants didn't scare her. And if it was Nestor Macknell, she would lay the law down to that ignorant, lawless, little Russian pipsqueak. (laughs) The reality took her by surprise, when it was neither peasants nor anarchists who invaded her home, but red army soldiers looking for a meal. There were about a dozen of them, young, cocky individuals, probably in a position of authority for the first time in their lives. Armed with a variety of weapons, ammunition jingling on their chests, their presence crowded the large kitchen and filled it with the rank smell of horse and gunpowder.
0: Well, now the podcaster takes off the podcaster's hat and puts on his author's hat. Uh, myself, I am Gordon E. Tolton, I'm an amateur historian in Rocontour. Um where my interest center on the cross-border trade of the late 1800s, the 1885 Northwest Rebellion, and the history of agriculture in Alberta. And I am honored to work in Pitcher Creek to, uh, for the past seven years as the education and outreach coordinator at Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village. And now I'm going to talk about one of my books. Okay, I guess I come to me now, uh, just because that's where I line up in the table. I think I'll just use my voice. I work with both children's and canons, so I have developed a very loud voice. Um, the book I will tell you about right now is called Healy's West, The Life and Times of John J. Haley. Well, who is this guy? Well, the, probably the most uh, rec- uh, local thing you could probably think of is he was the builder of Fort Whoop-Up. But he had more than that in his life. He was also, if you're familiar with the Banff country, he was the, one of the founders of Silver City and that little con job near Banff National Park. And basically, I'm just going to read the dust jacket. So, when John Healy pans for Idaho gold, descends the Missouri River, tames wild Alberta Mustangs, stares down Montana outlaws, equips Klondike prospectors, or promotes the untapped potential of Alaska, You can't help but admire this calculating bundle of Celtic dynamite who saw borders as mere lines to cross, great distances as stepping stones and empty prairies or icy oceans as just mere opportunities for exploration. You'll love him, you'll hate him, and you will awaken to a new understanding of an era both invigorating and brutal. Although he was never immortalized in a dime novel or a Hollywood Western, John J. Healy, li- born 1840, died 1908, was one of the most influential figures of the Westward movement. From Irish famine to army saddle, from taking on powerful monopolies to trading with the Blackfoot, from political maneuvering to hunting down rustlers behind a sheriff's badge in Montana, Healy challenged life, nature, enemies, and governments head on. In his own time, Healy was inflated to heroic myth by some, and derided by others as a controversial agent of change by others. Healy's West demonstrates that the man fits both molds. This is the most complex and truly balanced account of Healy's life ever published. An entertaining and critical portrayal of the West's most charismatic figure, Healy's West is a must-reader for any history buff. He might have seen our old musician buddy's soul brother, Noel Burls around K- Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village as he was picking in a grinning, but mostly picking his wonderful array of western tunes and country classics. But Noel also rhymes, and he has a new CD of his cowboy poetry out. He will be signing the new release, as well as other compilations of original songs. Now here's the man himself with a sample of the new poetry collection.
13: Seeing how I have a brand new CD of Cowboy Poetry uh, just released, hint, hint. Um, This is one of the poems off of that uh, new album. You can contact me through Facebook or message me should you decide you want one. This poem is called Just Because. My ex, she phoned me up, said we had to talk. I suggested a real short pier and a long, long walk well her response i can't repeat then she says i bought a horse i says that means not to me remember our divorce oh please she said i need your help cause he's just a little rough and i really need a cowboy like you that's kind of tough i'm not sure what possessed me to even have a look oh i could have been so stupid but the job i undertook well i assumed that i can handle this but soon sang a different tune When I climbed into his middle, he launched me to the moon. And I have been thrown a time or two, thus flying skills acquired. My touchdowns, however, still leave a lot to be desired. That first crash landing broke three ribs, which took some time to heal. Long about then, I realized I was meant to lose this deal. But being kind of stubborn in that damned old cowboy pride, I managed to convince myself i could break this horse to ride i finally got him to the point to mount he'd stand real calm he'd work for about 10 minutes and explode like an atom bomb well i plumb round out of patience plus i would gained a broken arm so i takes them back to my ex-wife said he's working like a charm she hasn't spoken to me since i guess no love lost there and looking back okay perhaps it wasn't fair But I'm not claiming right or wrong, I'm just telling like it was. You try to cheat this cowboy, I'll get even, just because.
0: Well, that's a good sampling of what we're going to be hearing and seeing and talking about on uh, Friday, November 20th, 1 to 5 p.m. at Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village in the Beer Exhibit Hall. And that's not all. We've got some others. We've got Joni McFarlane and her cookbooks. We've got Mary May and Bobby Wendland with their uh, debut book. And we've also got the incomparable Jim Green and his his CDs of uh, poetry and stories. And we also have, uh, of course, John and Kathleen Hancock. And it just wouldn't be an author event without our local spider people around. I just didn't have any uh, audio material for them at hand and I want to make sure I got this out here before close of business on November 10th. At any rate, uh, have a great commemoration of Remembrance Day and the upcoming weekend and we hope to see you next Friday at Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village for the author's event. Signing off, Ranger Gord. Moxie Fruvis, take us out of here.
1: Story reading, baby. You should hear the things that she says. She says, Hun drop dead. I'd rather go to bed with Gabriel Garcia Marquez, <laughs> cuddle up with William S. Burroughs, leave on the light for bell hooks. I've been flirting with Pierre Burton because he's so smart in his books. I like to go out dancing. My baby loves a bunch of authors. My heart's so broke and bleeding. Baby's just sitting there doing some reading. And watching some TV Played my new CD player too She said turn it off Or I'll call the cops And I'll throw the book at you All this arguing made me get dizzy Got my doctor to come and a look I said doctor hurry He said
13: don't worry I'll be over when I'm finished my book
1: I like to go out dancing My baby loves a bunch of authors We've been living in hovels Spending all our money on Brand new novels Why, but on a streetcar, and it drove right into someone. You know the driver said, "I was looking straight ahead." But he was reading the Toronto Sun. Song. So my honey and me go to a counselor to help figure out what we need. She said, "Well, get your love growing." But before we get going, here's some books I'd like you to read. I like to go out dancing. My baby loves a bunch of authors. Lately we've had some
2: friction.
1: My baby's hooked on
2: short works of fiction.
1: So we split and went to a party. Some friends my girl said she knew. But what a sight, cause it's author's night and the place looks like a who's who! Now I'm pounding the uzo. with Mario Who's a funny fella? W. B. Kinsella. Who brought the cat? Or Margaret Atwood. Who needs a shave? He's Robertson Davies. I got kicked out at a food fight, <laughs> selling moose all over the scene. Built some dressing on Doris Lessing These writer types ever scream I like to go out dancing My baby loves a bunch of authors We'll be together for ages Eating and sleeping and Eating and sleeping and
13: Turning pages Yeah.